Hello and welcome to this episode of Demystified as we explore home cooking in a modern world. Hello, I'm Linda and I'm here with my friend Paul. Hi Paul. Hello Linda, it's just us. So, and no, we are no, still, no special, so, guests, no special guests. Sorry, guys, it's just us. Paul, one of the things that I well, straight into it. That's straight it. Straight in. You. Like, oh, you're yeah, sorry. No, no, nice no, no. <laughs> I just thought we'd uh, jump so in. So rude. Oh, so so eager. Not rude. Eager. One of the things years ago when we were first looking at our when you're cooking in our kitchen was our lack of decent pots and frying pans and really kit. So I think this is a great opportunity to talk about kitchen kit. Yeah, not kit from Knight Rider. She's oh, not going to put him in your kitchen. I don't know that our listeners are that old, Paul, but okay. Oh, well, come on. The it Hoff. could be. The Hoff. The Hoff. Yeah. Um, yeah, kitchen kit. Well, the, the reason that this topic came up was I got sent some samples of some um, very nice um, trays and roasting dishes and other bits and pieces, and I... You know, we've over time for cooking the steam acquired some pots that are different to what I use at home and what you use at home, um, but they're perfect for what we're doing here. Uh, so yeah, I thought why not? Let's let's chat about it, and especially like also obviously with your oven, but also especially with your cooktops and stuff like that. A lot of people. Are, still a bit sort of oh, okay what can I use if I've got induction if I have had gas cooktops can I use the same pots that I used to have on my induction cooktop what can go in the oven what can't great all the rest of it yeah well induction certainly changes it doesn't it uh to some degree yes um so well you need something magnetic that's trick and it's not the sides or the handle or anything like that it's the base of the pot you need a magnetic connection the way that i generally try and explain it is think of your induction cooktop as your fridge when you put a pot on top of it the pot is the fridge magnet so it makes a magnetic connection um, and that's how it works and it heats the inside of the pot um, so you need something magnetic so if you are shopping around or looking around and i know not everyone's getting out to shops, but most uh, retailers or shops will have different little symbols on the branding of the pot, which will tell you if it works on induction or not. If you do happen to be out in a store when we all get released, um, <laughs> we're not in jail. <laughs> um, when you're out on bail, um, best thing to do is just take a fridge magnet with you. And if the fridge magnet sticks to the bottom of the pot, it will work on induction. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, now, the other thing when, with gas and stuff, a lot of people will tell you that anything that you've used on gas, you can't put on induction. Uh, just because, you know, you might have some staining or, you know, bits of food that have been burnt on and all that sort of stuff. It's not actually true um, by any stretch. What you want to do is if you're going from gas to induction... Um, so it doesn't really matter the other way around if you're going from induction to gas, which is very rare. But if you're going from gas to induction, uh, just make sure you give the base of the pot a really good clean uh, and make sure there's no sort of uh, 
know, baked on food or salt or anything like that, which is going to scratch the glass. But that's the only fear there. If you're shopping for new and you do have induction, best pots, and look, we can talk about brands and stuff if you want, it doesn't matter, but the best pots are the pots with the least amount of stamping on the base of them. So, you know, a lot of pots and pans have got, um, like, cutouts and stamping and yeah. bits and pieces. Yeah, I think the Jamie Oliver pot that I use all the time, that we've used you for have years. Gas. I have Just, gas. Yeah. Yes, I have gas. Yeah. And But I use a Jamie Oliver pot, and the bottom of it is very, um, it's like the sole of a shoe, it's so yeah, it's a kind of, graphic. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly right. So for induction, it's better to get something with okay. a far less amount of stamping on it. Um, and the reason being is that more connection. Better oh, connection. Okay. Yeah, so it's like plugging a USB in and you've only got, you know, maybe not all of the little bits in there are actually connecting and so it's just sort of working. Um, so the flatter the base of the pot with the less stamping on it, the better uh, outcome you're going to get from that pot. Other pots will still work if they've got stamping on the base of them or like track traction on the shoe, that's a good example. Uh, they will still work, but you're not necessarily going to have cold spots, but I just think given that it's a magnetic connection that you're making, the flatter the better. So if you are shopping around, um, and we don't generally mention brands when we're doing this sort of stuff, but I would say that all clad is probably the best. Uh, it's not inexpensive, but for general fry pan, saucepans, all that sort of stuff, they're probably the best. And one of the other reasons that they're really good is that the edges of the pots and pans on all clad are rolled. So they're not a, uh, the side of the pot or pan just doesn't go up and then square off like there's not a right angle. And the reason that they're rolled is so you can pour very easily out of them without it. You know how you've poured out of a pot before and yeah. it all runs down yeah. the underside of the pot? If any, well, I mean, for that matter, like when you're just shopping for pots and pans, look for something that's got a rolled edge because the rolled edge will mean that you get a smooth stream coming out. If you've got a square edge, like a right angle edge, it's all going to run down the underside of the pot or pan or whatever it is. So there are a few considerations. The other thing that I think is sort of essential is it doesn't necessarily have to be a pot. It could be a pan, cast iron, at least one good piece of cast iron cookware. I know Dougie has his favourite pan. Which is about 300 years old with a bit of string still tied in the handle. Yeah, well, whatever. And it still yeah. is perfectly fantastic yeah. on the and gas. So, and it will work on induction. Okay. Yeah. He'll be cast, happy about that. Cast iron is brilliant on induction. Now, the trick with cast iron is um, when you're pot or pan cooking, the general methodology is that you bring it up to temp first over a pretty high heat. So you want to get some temperature in the pot before you add your oil and then add your onion to saute or whatever you're doing. Um, with cast iron, it's a little bit different. What you should actually be doing is, is heating it at a lower temperature just over a longer period of time um, so you don't have your induction up as high or your flame up as high to get the cast iron pot or pan hot. So a sort of medium-low heat and leave it sit there over a longer period of time will give you a better cook result because cast iron is much denser and what happens is, is it takes longer to heat through properly 
So if you just sort of creep up to it rather than try and smash it into submission, if you creep up to it and get that heat consistently throughout the entire cast iron, the benefit of cast iron then plays out because it maintains heat much better than anything else. And because I'm not the sharpest knife in the knife set, I understand that completely with my La Crusade pot that yeah. I have. Yeah. And yet whenever I've used Dougie's favourite cast iron fry pan, I just crank crank it up, throw in the oil and whoosh it around. And yeah. yet but they're the same. They're the same. And it's particularly one's, one's pretty colour yeah, and one's and, not. And sometimes you'll see uh, those cast iron pots will have an enamel on the inside. Um, so yours in particular doesn't. Um, but so, like I know some of the Le Creuset, I think one I used to had had the enamel on the inside. So it's cast iron and then it's got a sh coating, enamel coating on the inside. Good, no doubt. But the problem is, is that if you heat that too aggressively, um, you'll chip that enamel coating. And then once it gets water in underneath, it, underneath that where you've chipped it, or any moisture for that matter, it'll continue to chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away. Now, companies like Le Creuset have lifetime warranties for a very good reason. It's because they're cast iron, they're super heavy and they last forever. But if you intensively heat a cast iron pot like that, that has an enamel coating on it, not covered by warranty, and I'm telling you this from experience because it happened to me, and I actually had to explain to them that I've been a chef for 25 years and I know how to heat a cast iron pot. And I said, oh, I think it was a manufacturing flaw, and they said to me, no, it's not. Um, so it's very hard to prove, of course, that um, you haven't heated it aggressively. But if you're using cast iron, just when you're at the heat up stage, maybe put it on five minutes before you would regularly put a fry pan on or a pot on to use, but outstanding on induction. And the, one of the other biggest benefits of cast iron is, of course, the maintenance of temperature, but then you can transfer them to your oven quite easily. I mean, you can with pot, other pots and pans, but, you know, that whole sort of Dutch oven cooking sort of situation is, that's what cast iron's built for, I think. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I did read the instructions on my La Crusade. I've got two now. I've got another one that since you've been there. But, so uh, you've got too much money. Well, <laughs> I, I, yes. Well, but you see, the thing about the thing about that is, if you, if you look at uh, the cost of like a reasonable size Dutch oven, like a Dutch oven, you know, you're talking four, five, sometimes six hundred dollars. They're really expensive. But if you so I going back in time, I would have preferred to have got the one you've got, which doesn't have the enamel coating on the inside. Uh, but that pot will last you a lifetime. And we use it no for doubt. so many different yeah. things. Soups, everything. It's no doubt. Everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, while they're expensive and like the pans or the pots and pans, the regular sort of pots and pans I was talking about before are expensive, the, the better ones will last you a lifetime. Um, so at home myself, I have um, French copper, which is a collection that I've been growing over about 15 years, which is really expensive. Um, now it's fantastic as far as cooking with, uh, but I can't use it on induction. Oh, well I can do a swap. <laughs> I've got a La Crusade pot and a cranky no. old wooden handle. No, I, no one's having my copper pots. No, so no, really. I, they need to be no. used, Paul. Oh, I use them because I have gas at home, but here, 
Oh, yes, true, oh, it's yes. seen to be an induction, okay. and I prefer induction, but um, which is one of the reasons why I still have gas at home because I get such joy out of co- cooking with my copper pots and pans. And they do look like beautiful. Um, so yeah, when you're shopping around, you know it's one of those things not dissimilar to buying an oven. You get what you pay for. Uh, so if you buy better, you'll get longevity out of it. Um, non-stick and things like that you just need to be aware of you know the longevity of those and high heats as well so some of the better brands of non-stick joel's just trying to sneak out of the office so if you hear the door open don't worry about it see joel (laughs) it's like linda's phone going off it's a rookie move i have figured out now and it's not going to go off again so yeah and um well i mean other things that i was sort of mentioned was um i got some samples of like a teppanyaki plate and a grill plate and a roasting dish which were all suited for both the induction and the oven recently from some people in germany i've seen you cook on a teppanyaki plate and i must say it really does look like an interesting way that's super flat super flat yeah cooking it- i like the idea of having something that um, I can colour up something quickly on the induction cooktop, transfer it to the oven, cook it, and then I can make a sauce out of what's left in the bottom of the tray all in one pan. There's no messing about. It do all they, happens in... On one, do those, um, the teppanyaki plate and the grill, do they work on gas as well? Yeah, so the ones that I the samples that I've got have got um, silicon feet on them, but they're removable. Oh. Oh, okay, that would help. Now, I mean, they are purpose built for induction, so you get all over temperature, the same temperature all over the entire surface. Uh, but yes, like I have seen them used on on gas, of course. Why not? Okay. And they're cast. They're again cast, so. You know, I mean, I'm pretty fortunate to get these samples to be able to play around with, but it's certainly worth having a look at. And you don't need a million pots and pans and stuff like that as well. Like I survive at home with pretty much a large stock pot, if you like. Um, and then I use two medium size copper pans, medium large copper pans. They're probably about four litres in capacity each, maybe one of them's three or two. I've got a very small one, less than a litre, and two fry pans. And a, you know, Dutch oven, like Rosé. And that's it. So you don't need a whole heap, is what I'm also saying. Most house households. Depends on how many people you cook for and what you like to cook and all the rest of it. But I certainly don't think you need an excessive amount when you go out and you see these, you know, your package deal of buying, you know, you get the pot, you get the steamer, you get the 16,000 different lids, you get all this, all that. I very rarely use lids. Very, very rarely. Um, so, yeah, just, I actually think you might be better off buying some really good cookware individually over a period of time. If you've got to get some top-ups in between, well, then fine. But if you get really, really good cookware over a long period, like it's taken me 20, the better part of 20 years to get the copper pots that I wanted to and have almost a set. Um, but that's what I want to do. 
So yeah, just maybe consider that buying little bits and pieces over time. When they go on sale, like just grab them. What about saucepans and fry pans that can go straight from cooktop into the oven? Yeah, well, I mean, the only real consideration there is, um, so you need to look at sometimes some of the non-stick coatings will have a temperature guide on them, giving you an idea. And generally that temperature guide is based around what the handle material is made out of. So if you've got a handle that's got some sort of rubber, plastic, timber, you know, who knows what, um, it'll say, okay, you can only put it in the oven up to 160 degrees. Um, they're not going to limit the temperature of the actual pan surface itself um, because it gets much hotter than that when you put it on a cooktop. Uh, so the handle's probably the consideration there. If you're wanting to put your pots or pans in the oven, think about the handle um, and what sort of handle you want. So all of my copper pots have... Um, Cast, cast iron handles, which is a pain because they can rust because they're not sealed. But um, if you're going to get pots and pans, like steel handles, whatever, then they can go in the oven. I mean, we did a tutorial just last week on, or two weeks ago on polenta, um, and I had it in the pot, and I just put the pot straight in the in the oven. Now, mind you, it was only on steam, but it's something that I do often. Um, we'll transfer it from a cooktop to the oven. Uh, and I do that because generally anything that I buy doesn't have a rubber handle. I don't want to be limited. Like maybe I want to bake mm. bread in my fry pan. Like maybe I do. I mean, if you want to make a really good pizza, best way to do it is actually put a fry pan on an induction cooktop and start the dough there. Because you get really? crisping underneath. Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. So just like I did that Turkish you did spread. You the Turkish spread, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you get crisping underneath. You get a really intense heat underneath. That was fantastic, the book, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's other there's other things. But other kitchen sort of stuff, like I think you need, um, you know, medium-sized mixing bowls or a no-brainer, a balloon whisk. Um, you know. And a really good fine strainer. Yes, a chinois. Very good, Linda. <laughs> That's because I didn't have one, guys. Um, and a, like set of set of uh, digital scales. I think are really they are important. I must admit, I use those all the time. I think that was the first thing I told you to buy. Yes, and it was fantastic. Yeah, um, and that's more for your pastry cooking and stuff like that. But really good for put the understanding portions and like if you're getting a big piece of fish, like how much does it weigh? Yeah. Um, so good set of kitchen scales, rolling pin. Yeah, I mean I. The only rolling pin I have, I leave here at, in our kitchen. So when I need a rolling pin at home, I just grab a bottle of wine. Oh, I just grab a bottle of wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay, that's the difference between you and I. Yeah. So, I, yeah. And as far as other sort of benchtop machinery and equipment, um, I've, well, it was a conscious decision early on for us to not get a Thermomix, um, just from the point that we thought well if people are buying an expensive combi oven maybe they're not ponying up for a, another two thousand dollar plus piece of kit um so everything that we've done has pretty much been done in a blender stab mixer or a KitchenAid stand mixer i think a stand mixer is a no-brainer um now i only mentioned KitchenAid because that's what i've used even in commercial kitchens we use KitchenAids. 
because they are known for longevity. They're bulletproof. The motors just never die. Mm. Like, they're unbelievably good. I think you've well, yeah, told you to get one too. Yeah, got one. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, you don't need a lot of equipment and it's kind of funny to think sometimes. I, I remember training um, some high school students when I lived up the bush. Um, we had a bit of a sort of, a, you know, welcome to the kitchen. This is what the world of hospitality is like with the local high school. And um, bring them in and just teach them some basics and fundamentals. And I remember one day we were doing mayonnaise and they all had a bowl and a whisk. And they're like, but we've seen mayonnaise done on television where you can do it with a blender and da da da. It's important to remember a lot of the cooking methods that we know now that we still use today because not a lot of the cooking methods themselves have changed. Everything was done pretty much pre-machinery. So some of the best sorbets and ice creams were invented pre-refrigeration. When I was 13, my grandma taught me to make a cake, a sponge cake, using a bowl and a wooden spoon. Yeah. My arm nearly fell off. Yeah. But that's yeah. how she made all of her cakes, with a yeah. wooden spoon. No, Not even a, an egg beater style beater, just a wooden spoon. Yeah. And and it worked, and it was probably the best cake I'd ever made. Yeah. I was so, but I'm just... My my right arm still isn't recovered. Well, I make scones with a mixing bowl and a butter knife. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you don't need every single latest bit of kit to get good results. I think some good cookware, um, especially if you're doing pan frying or you want to get some good colour after you've steamed mm. a chicken breast or something like that. Um, and anything that you do to sort of revisiting the, the gas and, induction sort of stuff if you have had some cookware that you've used for a long time on gas what you might find is if you're going from gas to induction that it doesn't sit flat so over time the metal whatever it might be may have moved or warped a little bit um, and remember when you go to induction you want contact surface contact as much as possible so anything that's sort of bumpy when you put it on a flat surface meaning it isn't flat you're probably going to want to replace it because it's only the point at where it's got connection that it's going to heat. The rest will be radiant heat. So it's not going to be the same heat. So as long as it sits flat and the base is relatively clean, less stamps, as I say, uh, so less markings on the base, the better. Um, but yeah, just make sure your cookware is not warped. Because if it's warped, mm -hmm. you're going to get inconsistency. And the whole idea behind surface cooking on induction is flat. Flat, flat. So that that little uh, grill plate I was talking about, or the teppanyaki plate I was talking about before that we did yesterday with the Turkish bread and stuff, it's super flat. So it means that when that bread came out, I looked underneath, the colour was like super consistent all the way across. It was as golden as that on top. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, so really, really nice and flat. As long as it's flat on both the underside and the inside as well, because it may well be different. So mm. in theory... You can, um, if you've got a really good super flat pot or pan, or let's say a fry pan, in theory, you shouldn't need oil when you're cooking a fried egg, let's say. You shouldn't actually need it. Okay. Yeah. If it's super flat, you shouldn't need it. Because it's only in the parts where a pot or pan isn't flat. So if you can imagine you've got super flat and then you've got a slight dip, and then super flat, that slight dip, and let's say you were cooking an egg, that egg's going to 
drip down into that slight dip and catch there. And then when you try and lift up the egg here, what's going to happen? It's going to tear yeah. and it'll okay. stick. Okay. Okay, I didn't know that. So you if you have something that's super, super flat and as flat as can be, you're going to get, if need be, you can use much less oil or much less fat or butter or whatever it is. Now I'm not having to be using less butter, but you know. Oh, first time shopping this man. I still remember it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super flat and the way to get super flat is buy better, unfortunately. I do like the idea of less. I think when we've yeah. been talking about our, you know, increased love of home cooking during particularly this time that we're all in at the moment, one of the things I've loved about home cooking is getting back to some basics because you don't have maybe the distraction. So you really are just using what you've got around you. And, and I think particularly if you're going to be trying to teach kids or you've got an opportunity to teach people who don't cook very often, some of the simple methods that might be a bit overwhelmed by using a food processor, but not if you just chop things up manually or yeah. use a whisk or, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Back to that sort of basic cooking. Yeah. I mean, I like my little fella, when we cook, we never use machines. Well, no, because he's four. Yeah, but I mean, it would be really easy for him to like move the lever on a KitchenAid. Sure but where's be. the fun in that? Like... So yeah, no, give also, him a whisk. Yeah. Like, let, him, let him go for it. And then clean it all up afterwards. Yeah, that's the only thing, especially if you're OCD like me, where you've got to have everything like just, just clean so. bench and all the rest of it. I was watching him make cupcakes yesterday. I was like, oh, Jesus, I need to walk away. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so your kitchen equipment and stuff like that, the, the less – and think about having the, the cupboard full of pots and pans and all the rest of it. And mm. I bet you, if you looked in there, you would find three that you use daily and the rest you use very rarely. Yeah, and they take up so much space yeah. and claim. Yeah. One of the other things that I've really appreciated since I've known you and we've been cooking Is my shining together. personality. <laughs> yes, you're... Yeah, no, not that. Um, the use of, of spatulas and mixers that can tolerate heat. Yeah. They yeah, are so, great. Yeah, I'm a big, big advocate for uh, like rubber spatulas yes. and stuff like and that. Fantastic. Yeah, especially if you're um, using non-stick. I mean, everyone knows that you should be using metal, you know, whisks and stuff in, inside non-stick cookware because it will wear away at the coating, no doubt. Mm. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they're pretty heat tolerant now. Um, so actually, it's, you know, I don't want to go back to the same thing, but when I do my polenta... Um, and I'm sitting there eating dinner and I've served it up and I've got some leftover polenta, I actually just throw the entire pot with the spatula in it back in the oven just to stay warm while I'm eating. Because you can. Yeah, because I can. Yeah. So, I, yeah, there, I mean, I only ever make my scrambled eggs with a spatula, like nothing else. Uh, Omelettes, like, even like name it, everything. Rubber, I mean, not maybe not everything, but... I still use like a really good metal spatula when I'm doing fish cooking and stuff like that. But general day to day, like and, and um, <clears throat> like pastry scraper is another really good one. So rubber spatulas, pastry scraper, yeah, I, undeniably like handy. And my other favourite, a microplane. Didn't know how useful that thing was. Who knew? 
I, I didn't yeah. until I got one. Well, I think you actually bought it and uh, I kept it. Yeah. But that I use all the time. Yeah. How many times for ginger, garlic and and parmesan, which I use in a They're lot They're really of good for zest because it doesn't take off all the pith. Okay. So the one that you've got, I mean, you can get different grades, of course. Uh, the one that you've got is quite a fine grade. So if you actually just, you know, with a lemon or an orange or a lime or whatever it might be, you just rotate that. Mm. piece of fruit consistently means you're getting the zest and if you've ever had something with lemon zest in it or orange zest or something and you go oh that's not for me that's because it's actually got too much of the white pith on the zest still attached if you just get pure zest it's actually quite pleasant and pleasing but too much of the white pith it's got that real sort of sour bitter which is why I don't taste like to it yeah I don't like mixed peel in Fruit buns. Okay, that's quite specific, but yeah. Yeah, because that's just, yeah. But anyway, <coughs> different topic maybe. But yeah, but micro, microplane is yeah, another good one. And then um, a lot of people, you know, they are very sort of, no, this is the way I peel vegetables. I'm a big fan of the speed peelers. Um, so they're just straight blade with a sort of U-shaped handle. I like them because... You can do things like shave cucumber for a salad uh, and it gives you a decent sized shave but mm -hmm. not chunky. Um, same with parmesan, the same. Uh, or uh, And they're all about how much pressure you put on, um, you know, the vegetables, stuff like that. But I don't peel my carrots when I roast them, nor my parsnips, um, things like that. I never mm. really do that. If I'm roasting beetroots, I'll leave the skins on. Um so, I mean, with my carrots and parsnips and stuff, I just give them a scrub with like a, almost like a scourer because that's where most of the flavour is. But, I mean, they're really good for apples and anything else. So, and they're about five bucks, but a really good one last year ages. We've talked before about the general sort of preferred temperature of people cooking is 180C, 350 yep. Fahrenheit. I reckon the other sort of standard kitchen thing you'd find in most homes is the second drawer in the cutlery section is the utensily bits. Yeah. And you said before about pots, you know, if you look at your pot drawer, you use the same ones all the time that you, you know, yeah. what they can hold. I reckon if I looked in that second drawer, I use the same three or four things. I reach for them all the time. And if someone's got in there and moves them around or I've had to use something else and I can't find it, I'm in panic. Yeah. Because everything else that's in there, clagging it up, and it is jam full. Yeah. Everyone's I don't got, use it often. Everyone's got a garlic crusher, which they use once every century. Uh, a cherry pipper, which is only <laughs> ever used at Christmas. <laughs> cherry pipper. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't have one of those. Um, the things that are in mine, because I have the same drawer, but I have a lot of sets of um, salad servers. Okay. So that's where they live. But generally, what the only other things are in there, I keep two types of whisk, a few different um, rubber spatulas, my microplane rooms in there with its cover. Um, but I don't have a lot of that superfluous stuff because I think it's rubbish. I don't need it. I, I, pastry brushes. Yeah, pastry brushes. You and I have own. different pastry brushes. I yeah. do know that. I think I nicked one of yours as well. Yeah. Um, what, what sort, because some of people have the, the bristly one and some of the sort of rubber 
fine one. Yeah. I think we had this dodgy 1970s plastic fibre one, which was just terrible. Yeah, I actually go for a proper brush, like a horsehair brush or like a proper hair brush. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just don't think... I, I actually think for really delicate stuff, like let's say you've got some pastry that's going on top of an apple tart or an apple pie or something like that, and your apples are still a bit warm and your pastry is getting a bit hot and sort of starting to, the butter starting to melt, and, that, and you pull out one of those silicon brushes to try and egg wash the surface, I think it actually stabs it a bit and doesn't brush on. Um, so I use proper, like a, almost like a paintbrush. Really soft bristles. Um, the drawback from that is that every now and again you'll get a, you know, a hair from the brush come out. You just got to watch what you're doing, really. Um, hmm. But other than that, you're right. I think I've got a meat mallet that I use. Well, I used to use, but it's now I still Daddy use mine. Gets in trouble. <laughs> no, he gets a, no, that's a that's a fry pan, yeah. <laughs> the big one. Um, but when I'm using like chicken sizzles, I use my rolling pin to beat it up and flatten them out. But yeah. So I hardly ever use that, but I look at the other ones that I've got in there and I think, yeah, like really, why are you here? But I'm too scared to throw them away for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. I think we might use it one day, but we don't. Well, people have mollies and like there's so much kit. Like I go into, you know, kitchen shops all the time just to have a look. There is so much stuff. Like there is a job for, there is a tool for everything and sometimes you might want it. But I mean... When was the last time you actually really considered using a melon bore? Well, I was just going to bring that up. Not since 1986. Yeah. But they had their purpose at the time. But yeah. the other thing I think we, sh- we talked about this briefly in a podcast we're about to load up, which was if you don't have an oven probe, how to, the, the, the benefits of getting a good temperature probe. Yeah, a thermometer. Thermometer. Yeah. yeah. Getting a good thermometer is certainly worthwhile. Um, and the other thing is... Um, Everyone's got a wooden spoon, right? Their favourite sort of wooden spoon, just as I do. Um, seal your wooden spoon. So get a get a like a lasagna dish or something like that. Cover it with you know put a good I don't know what's that four or five centimetres of oil in the base of it, and put your wooden spoons and everything timber in there and seal it up. So let let them sit for ten hours or something. And then just let them stand them up on a sheet of paper towel and let them drain naturally. And then just leave it out and let it dry. And what that'll do is prevent that, you know, every now and again you'll put a wooden spoon in a pot and the side of the pot gets hot and then the wooden spoon is burnt. Oh, yes, yeah. It'll prevent that from happening. And it also seal everything in. So okay. when you go to wash your wooden spoon, because they're timber, they won't draw water in. So any wooden implement... Because to be honest with you, what we used to do in the restaurants was that any new wooden spoons we'd get or timber implements, uh, we would actually throw them straight in the deep fryer. Oh, I've never, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it, okay. it didn't matter. But it, what it did was seal it from water coming in and prevent it a little bit from burning because you're not, mm. it's not so dry. Um, so, yeah, it's a good little tip for people. Never heard of that. Yeah. That's great. But apart from that... Full of useless information here. <laughs> Not always useless. Yeah, don't you ask. <laughs> Joel. <laughs> but, um, who Joel just snuck back in. Yeah. But I think that's that's really the key, isn't it? I think we can get caught up on some of the processes and the kit 
keeping it simple, using taking what you really do use. Yeah. And maybe before you're brave enough like me to maybe go home and look at that second drawer this weekend or another time, take out what you think you don't use and put it in another part of the house. If you don't go looking for it, you really don't need it. Yeah, I mean, how many spring and tins do you really need? Oh, what's wrong with five? Yeah. But a, a really good um, baking sheet is another one. So when I say baking sheet, like a, a really good flat no edges baking sheet is a really good investment. So, I mean, some people will have some manufacturers included in their oven, but not often. Um, so something super flat, again, really versatile. So they're, okay. they're a good thing to have. So just a baking sheet, that's that's what we call them. Anyway, that's what I call them, a baking sheet. It's a really good one to have. Because there's so much you can do with it and on it and all the rest of it. But if you walked into a commercial kitchen these days, you wouldn't see a Springform cake tin. No, probably All you see is cake rings. So to have the ring, which is a solid ring, not Springform, it's a solid ring, and everything gets cooked within that ring on a flat baking sheet. So the baking sheet is another use for that. So... And all of the cake rings fit, of course, inside each other. So it's not taking up 19,000 square metres of room just to fit some cake like tins. My, like my spring form. Yeah. Which I've but, had since I was about 16. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, because the funny thing is, is that you go, oh, okay, what am I going to make? And da, 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 I might make some cupcakes. Oh, my muffin tin's looking a bit old. Or where's my muffin tin? I can't find it. No, it's not the right size. I'll go and buy one. Seriously, how mm. often? Like, yeah. and you go and buy it, there's an extra 15 bucks, and you've bought it, you've satisfied your cupcake craving, and then you stick it in the cupboard as another thing that sits there for another year. Like, are you More really going to use it all yeah. the time? Like, yeah. I'm not saying don't make your cupcakes, but do they need to have that specific cupcake tin? Yeah, mm. maybe not. Silicon's a really good one, too. Like, silicon moulds these days are really cheap, and you can bake in them and get good, really good success out of it. And the, because they're silicon, they don't make noise, they sit pretty flat, you can scrunch them up, they keep their shape, they throw are them they in the dishwasher. dishwasher. Okay. Yeah. That's you useful. You treat them with total disdain. You can hack at them with metal spatulas, they're not going to scratch. You know, so wow. they're good ones to, to look okay. at. You can use them for freezing stuff into a certain shape. You know, they're yeah. quite beneficial. So that's where I will use silicon, but not pastry brushes. Okay. I think that's a good overview of kit for a kitchen. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, there's others. I mean, of course, there's, it's a never-ending list, but and a good chef's knife. Oh, I was going to bring up knives when I said yeah. I wasn't the sharpest one in there, but a good, yes, a really sharp knives. And if you have a good sharpener too, yeah. keep them sharp. Yeah. So just a... You don't need heaps. I think a really good serrated knife, a good chef's knife and a paring knife will pretty much get you by. And you have a boning knife too, I think. I have, yeah, Even I've though you have a, a huge selection of knives, you yeah. tend to use those ones. I actually do that on purpose for cooking with steam for, oh, for other work. Yeah, for other work. Like I've got a salmon slicer or I've got all sorts of manner of stuff that has a particular job. But at home, you're not. it's not your full-time job to produce food. So you just need some simple, and again, they're another thing that you'll get what you pay for. Nice, like a little bit of extra money will go a long way. 
And keep your knives on a magnetic strip. That's the other one for me. Don't put them in a block or... Don't put them in the drawer, Linda. <coughs> Top drawer? Yeah. Yes, um, all in one, not, jammed into one little area, so we don't cut ourselves. Certainly not in the drawer. Those magnetic strips are fantastic. They're, and they are throughout commercial kitchens globally. That's how chefs keep them. And they're like, you can buy them at Ikea now. Like, just what stick... can buy at Ikea? Yeah, I know. But just stick one up and put your knives there because they'll stay sharper so much longer. And if you do have olive oil out in the bench, like we do, please put it in a darkened container, not a glass... Because otherwise, it's nothing to do with the kitchen kit. Though. No, but I'm You're just getting saying, off topic, man. Sorry. You're talking about preservation of ingredients. But that's. But I'm just thinking about my kitchen. Yeah. And getting you, you tell us that a while a while ago, and we didn't do it. But I did bring it up the other day. Okay, back on the list. Back on the list of things to do. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Paul. That's no been really good, and we'll uh, catch up another time about another useful kitchen topic. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to this podcast as we explore home cooking in a modern world. We'd love you to subscribe and for more information, please go to our website, cookingwithsteam.com. Mm-hmm.